This conversation is brought to you in part by Calavo Growers, the family of fresh. Hey, hi-ho, everybody. Happy holidays. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. We are thrilled that you're spending a little bit of your holiday time with us. To everybody out there, we wish you a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate in your heart and with your family. I hope it's joyous and wonderful and you make it the very best it can possibly be because that's incredibly important to do and it's a great time of the year. I'm very excited about my guest today. I'm excited to talk about this talk, but you know, so many people get into resolutions and we thought, hey, let's get into the conversation resolutions like in December so people can get a little bit of a head start and take some advice from a big brain that's out there doing some amazing things out there in the world of being a registered dietitian, uplifting the spirits of people in the grocery store. So please, everybody, give it up for my friend, Barbara Ruse from the Market RD. Welcome, Barbara. Thanks for having me, Todd. It's absolutely a pleasure. What do you think of the hat? Bring it strong today, right? I got the Santa brought me this a little early. That, that is a good hat. It is a good hat. It's a very hot hat. This hat's not going to stay on long. So take a look at it now because they're going to be here in a minute. I guarantee you that. Thank you for being here and hanging out. You know, you have built a career and, you know, you're a registered dietitian. You're out in the retail sector talking to people, uplifting brands, all kinds of stuff, which I can't wait to talk about because I really feel like you guys are the unsung heroes that win a lot of wars and nobody knows you're in, that you're even involved with, which I think is just awesome. But, you know, you really are a true master of connecting people to food. And I think that is such a cool position to be in. And there's so much energy behind that. So as I said earlier about this pre-resolution thing, I'm just excited to have this conversation and talk about what's going on in this country, what you think's going on, what we need to do, plant some seeds, maybe kick in a couple of doors. And who, maybe we'll piss some people off, make them think hard. I'd love to do that too. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> but before we get going, I'm going to shut up for a second. If you wouldn't mind, just say everybody a little bit about who you are, your journey and your bio and everything so they can get to know you real quick. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you can tell how old I am based on, um, well, no, you wouldn't be able to tell how how old I am based on the number of things that I've done in my career. Um, but um, yeah, I, I've had a circuitous career, a lot of different directions, um, all nutrition, I think they're all logical and connected. Um, started out in public health, uh, working for USDA child nutrition programs. I'm an East Coaster, if you couldn't tell by my accent. Um, so I lived in Massachusetts for uh, over a decade. And that really set the stage for the rest of my career. Um, although it doesn't necessarily seem like it. I left uh, child nutrition programs. I was a, a college tennis player really interested in sports, did my master's in exercise physiology and nutrition, worked as a, as a sports dietitian and nutrition therapist at Harvard University for a number of years, um, all while playing tennis. Um, to this day, still, still an avid tennis player. Tennis freak. Yeah, I love it. Now, how about pickleball? Um, you doing pickleball? Because no everybody, everybody I talk about is pickleball. <laughs> it's like what, what yeah. is pickle? I like pickleball. It's like what y'all got hamstring injuries. You can't run that far. What's the deal? Yeah, I don't yeah, get I'm, it. I'm not a pickleball person. Um, although they are converting a lot of tennis courts into pickleball um, courts here and where I am now in Phoenix, but uh, no, have not tried pickleball yet. Um, maybe when I'm uh, let's ninety, say, like yeah, 90. Maybe when I'm, yeah. I don't. I don't want to disrespect. That. 
I don't want to disrespect any pickleball players, but I'm, I just love the physicality of tennis and, um, I just love the sport. So I don't so, know. Yeah, pick, so. a, pick a ball, Prius, Prius, pick a ball. I don't know. They go together. I think I don't even know. I'm off. I'll stop. I'm going to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll get the hate mail. I'll I will not comment. Mail. I'll get the hate mail. Don't worry about it. I'll answer them. I don't care. <laughs> well, um, yeah, no, I won't even go there. Cause um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so where were we? My career. Um, so yeah, so worked in sports as a sports nutritionist and and also as a dietitian nutritionist at Harvard. And then um, I was always taking clients to the supermarket because Boston's very, you know, close uh, supermarkets and grocery stores are Great everywhere. Great food town. So it always, um, you know, because clients would always ask me, well, what do you eat? Um and it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what I eat. I know that I understand the compulsion to want to know what's in the dietitian's fridge or how the dietitian sure. eats. But I'm I'm a regular person and I eat like, you know, I have preferences and things just like everybody else. And so I would meet people in the grocery store generally um, as one of their sessions. Um, and that just got me thinking that uh, there was a lot of power in the supermarket and I somehow, uh, so I went to Cornell undergraduate and there was a professor at Cornell. I don't think he was there when I was there, but um, Dr. Wansink. And he's this guy who, um, you know, did a lot of the studies where people, they would do the bottomless soup bowl and they, you know, like how things, how, how you serve food and what you do, how it influences consumption. And so I started thinking, you know, oh, I'm meeting people in the grocery store. There's Dr. Wansink's doing all this interesting stuff about how food is presented and, and marketing and um, behavioral economics and, yeah. and how it influences people like their choices. And so, um, you know, out of the blue, I get an opportunity. Somebody had said, oh, there's this job working for a supermarket chain in Phoenix. And I sent my resume and of course, you know, like Harvard university speaks. That doesn't help. I mean, that a helps a little bit. It, that, that hurts a little. It helps a little. And, um, and I took the opportunity I moved out here and I really knew nothing about retail, but I knew that I could make a difference. And I was so fascinated at how the world of retail worked. I knew nothing about it, but I wanted to learn. And so um, I worked for a small regional chain. I mean, not, I don't think they're that small. Bashes is a, is a formidable retailer in Arizona. And what was really interesting to me about Bashes in particular is that they have different formats. So they have their conventional supermarket chain um, bashes, and then they have uh, a Hispanic focused food city um, format that is, it's like you're walking into Mexico when you walk into those stores. Uh, and then they had have the exclusive rights on the Native American reservation land, so the Diné stores. And then they also had um, AJ's Fine Food, which is more of an upscale gourmet upscale. format. Yeah. And so I thought, if I'm going to go work for a retailer, <laughs> And I can play tennis 365. Um, this would be a great retailer to work for because they have the spectrum of different types of consumers. And that really set the trajectory of the, the, my, the last, I'd say, 15 years of my career um, that has been really focused in 
in retail and working as a dietitian. And people are always like, oh, you were a dietitian working for a supermarket chain. Now it's more common, but when I started, there was, there was only a handful of dietitians handful, yeah. and, um, and we all did very different things. And I remember calling up, um, a couple of my colleagues, um, because I wanted to network with them. I wanted to know what they were doing and, you know, flew back to the East coast and met with, um, a dietitian that worked for Pathmark. I think, I think she still works for Pathmark or a subsidiary of Pathmark and um, Jacqueline Gomes and, and also Carrie Taylor out at Big Y um, and just, you know, talk to these dietitians that were, uh, you know, doing the job that I was a similar type of job. Funny story, side note. Um, so I did go to Cornell undergraduate and one of my intern periods. So um, I was a work study student. And one of the projects that I, I worked on uh, was with the FNET program, which is a USDA funded, um, you know, expanded food and nutrition education program. And that experience working, doing my work study project, I actually worked at Wegmans under their dietitian, Jane Andrews, who is very highly regarded in the industry. She's retired now, but um, it was almost like I was destined to work in, in retail. retail. I didn't even, I didn't even know it was, it was such a fascinating thing when I was working in Wegmans and I was doing uh, store tours for second graders. And I just, I mean, I love kids and I love the grocery store. So, and I love food. <laughs> so it was sort of like the perfect, um, Marriage, yeah. yeah. And I was getting school college credits. So what could be better, but, um, you know, when I worked for bashes, it was, people always used to ask me like, what do you do as a dietitian? And the, 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 the better question is what don't you do? Correct as a dietitian working for a supermarket, because from shelf labeling to store tours, to um, customer service um, questions about ingredients or labels um, to um, sourcing new products that might be marketed as a, as a healthier product or how to help shoppers make better decisions when they're in the store. Like right. there's a million and one things that I did. And I really jumped in, full force. Cause I wanted to learn all about how the buying process works. How does distribution work? How does merchandising and marketing the right. whole spectrum. Thanks for joining the Todd conversation. And now a word from our sponsor. Hello, this is Jesse from Superior Fresh. Check us out at www.superiorfresh.com to learn more about how we raise our Atlantic salmon without the use of hormones, antibiotics, or pesticides. Our Heart Check certified salmon boasts two times the omega-3s of other salmon and are fed an organic and non-GMO diet. Our fish thrive in water naturally filtered by our USDA certified organic greens, which allows us to recycle 99.9% .9 of our water. This is salmon as it should be. Order Superior Fresh Salmon direct to your home by shopping with us online. And listeners of this episode can use the discount code TLC15 to receive 15% off your order. We make it easy to get the best salmon in your homes and on your plates. We've got you covered. Superior salmon equals superior taste. Shop now and use code TLC15 for 15% off through the end of the month.
what I love about your story is that you, you were on a path and you were so into the path that you were on, you weren't considering another path and it led you down this road. You get to Wegmans, all these things were just laid out in front of you. And that's why I say all the time is that we never know what the, you know, we never really know the path that we're on. We just know the decisions that our path puts in front of us. And it sounds as if every one of those that you were on, on your path, just led you obviously to hanging out with me today, nonetheless, but have led you down this road that, that really, truly to your point is, has been your calling. It's like you have been fed by that path and by that journey to the point we are sitting here today talking about some of these really cool things that you're about. And, and as I said, in the beginning in my opening, you know, in my opinion, Retail dietitians don't get a whole lot of credit. They are behind the scenes in a lot of ways. They are incredibly important to the retail sector. They're incredibly important. So I want to talk about, I want to, I, I want to start here because I think it's so relevant. And, you know, they really are, as I said, they're unsung heroes, you know, known as retail dietitians. So my, I'm going to give you a question. I got a couple, couple versions of it. I want to throw at you based off this question. But the first part is I want to talk about the value that that retail dietitians drive in to the stores, okay? And from three levels, one from the consumers, one to the store, and then to the brands. So let's start with the consumers first. Talk to me about the value that retail dietitians have to the consumers that are in these stores today. Yeah, so I think um, it's, it's a great question. It's a complicated question in some regards. Dietitians were originally hired in a customer service type of capacity or consumer affairs. So they're really helping customers by answering questions or uh, providing uh, information that customers want to make decisions in the store. Not necessarily, it didn't start as out as directly as, oh, there's people with diabetes or heart disease that are shopping in our stores and we want to address their concerns but more about like ingredient labeling and just sort of more general con- consumer service. We're food people. I mean, right. um, my, my degree of course is in nutrition, but I graduated from the college of human ecology. So it's like home economic, you know, related to home economics, um, you know, how, how people prepare food. So the value that a dietitian brings is, in some ways is not so tangible. When I worked at Bash's, it was very tangible because I worked directly with vendor partners to promote their product as a dietitian endorsed product. So there was a direct sponsorship dollars, products that I felt really deserved to be put in front of consumers. And way back when LaCroix was not a brand that anybody even knew about. And I discovered them while working working at Bash's and I was like, I'm going to promote this seltzer, you know, like every, as much as I can. And, um, you know, and, and then of course the, uh, the sales guy who used to call on Bash's who would, you know, go to the category manager who was in charge of, you know, beverages. um, I just figured out when he was going to be visiting the category manager and was like, Hey, I want to promote LaCroix in my program. Can you, funnel some of your dollars that are, you know, put towards price reductions and that kind of stuff. Sure. Like I'm a dietitian, I'm working for this company now. Can you put some of your marketing funds towards marketing in the platform for the dietitian? And and he was like, of course, I would love to do that. Um, And so that's how it worked because sometimes customers or friends or family or people will say, well, isn't that kind of disingenuous, you're a dietitian, aren't you supposed to be, 
you know, not, you know, bought by like a brand. And, and I never really saw it like, oh, I'm, it was products that I really wanted to promote. It wasn't like people were coming to me, like, I want you to promote, you know, partially hydrogenated oil, yeah. you know, fried chips or something like that. No, I mean, there, <laughs> so, so there was direct money that, that the platform that I ran, you know, that there was direct value to the retailer. But then there's also incremental sales we could measure like, okay, you're putting canned tomatoes on an end cap. I had a designated end cap in every store and I could, I could do a test and see, okay, well, there's an end cap at another time. That's not on the dietitian end cap. And then there's a, then I'm promoting it on my end cap and compare the sales volume. And of course, you know, it's more complicated than just, you have to look right. at timing and all that kind of stuff, pantry stocking. But um, I could measure the impact of the promotions and additional marketing that I was doing um, and, and gauge the value I was bringing to the retailer. Um, so I, I could continue to go down that path of what the value is. But I think the bigger value is really understanding that every major food brand from Kellogg's, General Mills uh, to PepsiCo, um, of course, you know, cause you're in the industry that a lot of these companies own the smaller companies, right. but from, and large restaurant chains, all of them have dietitians. They all work in like R and D or in marketing or in brand management or consumer affairs. So from the whole spectrum of the food supply, there's dietitians behind the scenes everywhere. Uh, so working in a supermarket was, although it did, it, it, wasn't as fast as say CPG brands, large brands having dietitians on staff. Now it's sort of catching up and you'll see the same thing in the restaurant industry, the Taco Bells right. and McDonald's of the world. They all have teams of dietitians that work behind the scenes. And what do they do? I mean, they do a whole bunch of different things. Um, and even with retail dietitians, like nowadays, I'm seeing a lot of dietitian roles evolve and expand. So like at Aldi, a dietitian colleague that I, I know there, her title is largely focused on sustainability, uh, nutrition initiatives. So, um, you know, we all do different things. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the areas of my expertise having run a conference. Um, I started a conference in 2009 for retail dietitians and ran it for 10 years uh, with a nonprofit in Boston called Old Ways. And that experience of running that conference for dietitians that worked at all the major retailers in North America, so including Canada and Mexico, as well as then it expanded. We'd always invite one or two global dietitians. So from the UK or Australia sure. or Israel, um, is that I'm, I'm now more of an encyclopedia of dietitians that work in retail. So you might say, Oh, uh, does Publix have dietitians in Florida? Yes. Or somebody might say, Oh, what retailer operates in the Pacific Northwest that has dietitians? Well, I could tell you what retailers are in the Pacific Northwest. I can tell right. you which dietitians, I can tell you what they do. Um, because that's just been one of my obsessions is bringing all of these dietitians together 
not only for the benefit of our profession, because dietitians in general, um, you know, most people think we only work in hospitals or in healthcare, but when you step out of that healthcare box, it really gets confusing for people and for other dietitians too, because they, anyway, that's a whole nother conversation, but I want to bring these dietitians all together so that we can talk and network and really raise the level of all education and what we're doing. And in the early days of starting that conference, I remember there was some resistance because dietitians that worked, especially in the Northeast, if you worked for Hannaford and you knew that stop and shop and Wegmans was coming, you might feel a little bit of angst because they're your competitors in your trade area. And so this wasn't about competitive sharing proprietary secrets, but more about how as health professionals, first and foremost, we are, you know, like doctors, we have a code of ethics and, you know, we, we are committed to providing education to clients, consumers. And uh, that's really how we operate. Of course, when you work in a for-profit space, you do have to be a little bit, you know, aware of, of, you know, what you're saying. Um, The goal of that conference was to bring dietitians together so that we could improve public health ultimately. And that's also why I partnered with a, a nonprofit because nonprofits are not focused on profits and they also have rules and things in terms of working with for-profit organizations. Right. So, right. so it, was a, it was a really a very uh, educational experience. Um, really just a great opportunity for me to meet so many wonderful people and to learn really how dietitians work across the spectrum and also about retailers in general, how, sure. how unique so many different retail, like retailers across the country are doing so many fascinating, wonderful things. A hundred percent. And I think that's a really neat part about this conversation and having you here is because brands, just like you talked about LaCroix going, yeah, I got money. You want to do something. You want to help me get a positive message out about what we're doing and talk to your base and incorporate that through this retailer who I'm trying to sell my stuff through. It's a win-win. And the brands, to your point, you know, a lot of people have the dietitian brands. Some of these people have them in some ways, in some of what they do, it's a little greenwashing. And some of you want to peel back that onion, in a couple of these brands, I'm not going to go there, but you know, you got to look at what that dietitian is promoting, what they're talking about, what the messaging behind it. But you guys, again, like I was talking about, you have, you know, the unsung heroes out there, you have so much ability to help brands message directly to that store's consumer. So much different than putting it on sale from, you know, $2 to a dollar on sale, right? That's a very limited message. That's not really getting it out, but you guys talk in a multiplicity of ways, whether it's through signage, through the website, through educational pieces, through newsletters, it's a really vast network of people. So I'm always wondering, I think about this and I always encourage brands. It's like, if you're selling a retailer, do you actually know who their dietitian is? And I bet you if I asked 10 people, they probably wouldn't have a clue, right? But they are such, again, they're such an important part of being able to help brands drive that messaging. Again, something I talk about all the time is that that it's really important that we keep the conversation about blueberries moving. It doesn't have to necessarily be about Bob's blueberries, but blueberry conversations increases consumption for all. And it's incredibly important. So I appreciate how you frame that back up because there's so much value that's out there. And I think it's relatively in a lot of ways, and 
I guess I'll give you this question. It's somewhat untapped in a lot of places. There's not a lot of brands. I mean, there's brands that lean in, but there's more brands that aren't engaging with retail dietitians than there are engaging, if I was guessing. Yes. I mean, of course, now retail dietitians are, we're always tasked with proving our value, not only at the retailer. And, you know, and I worked for a retailer that went through bankruptcy and a reorganization. And I saw people that had worked for the company for 30, 40 years get laid off, you know, in the swing of a, you know, a few days. A pin, a pin. Terrible. Um, And, you know, when I survived that, it really made me to reflect and think like, how did I survive that? You know, the first few rounds of layoffs, it was because I was running a program that had direct value. There was direct money coming in from brands to pay for that. Now, as programs have evolved as dietitian and health and wellness platforms at retailers have evolved, so have the sponsorship fees. And, you know, it used to be that small independent regional retailers were the ones that hired dietitians as a competitive advantage because they couldn't compete necessarily on price, right? Right. The The buying power isn't as good for a Bashes as it is for say a Walmart. And so if you offer this customer service or you're offering a service like having a dietitian that could offer education to, to, to anyone, um, then that's where you're going to find more dietitians. And so even today, you see a lot of the regional retailer independents are the ones that have the formidable platforms for dietitians. So it's like big Y and wise markets and well, United Supermarkets in Texas is now owned by Albertsons, but HEB, um, Publix, uh, these these are the retailers that have dietitians. Of course, now bigger retailers uh, have dietitians as well. So uh, Walmart has dietitians, how they utilize them, um, and Costco has has dietitians that work more in, in sort of medical nutrition therapy behind the scenes right. for their employees. But a lot of retailers have dietitians now where they and how they function is is always the question mark. But your your question was about brands. There's a lot of brands maybe that don't take advantage of dietitians. And I think, um, yes, I mean, the majority of brands do not take advantage of of dietitians. Um, but if you're a small brand, say like I think of Kodiak Cakes as another brand. I they weren't around. Um, actually, I'll, I'll use another example: Kind Snacks, Kind Bars. Sure. Right. When I was working at Bashes, that bar was introduced, and we had uh, an entire setup, a bar section. And I remember Kind came in and presented their bars. And I remember the category manager, the natural category manager, who's still at Bashes to this day, young, young, he was young like me back then. And he was like, why should I take these things? Like we have so many bars. And I, I opened a package and I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh, you have, we've, we've got to sell these things. Like these are amazing. Plus the way that they package those, the kind bars, you know, you could see the nuts. Nobody was doing that back, back then. And so we took a risk. They offered us an exclusivity, you know, in the Southwest. Like if if you take this, we'll give you this many shippers and, you know, the retail stuff. And um, 
And that was a small brand back then for them to invest in a dietitian platform. They were more interested in, in investing in the retailer, right? And the retailer bashers was like, well, we have the perfect way to highlight you. We have this, this real living person who loves your product and can speak to it. And so that was a brand that was in my um in my weekly ad, uh, was put on, uh, a merchandising. I had, you know, I had these designated end, end caps in every store. They had given us shippers. Um, and if, if we, you know, sold a certain number, of course they sold out like almost instantly. Um, well now kind is a, a big brand kind has dietitians on staff. They have multiple sure. dietitians, you know, the dietitians at, at High V or Coborns, they they're regularly on their local television networks, and so they will promote the product when they have those media segments. Uh, and their merch, you know, they have merchandising um, places in the store. Um, and so I think I think I've I've given you more than you wanted to know. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, because again, I go back to what I said in the very beginning. Not a lot of people realize what y'all do and the value that you bring and how it works. And I think it's great. I mean, this is what the whole basis of our conversation is about. It's the reason I, you know, kind of put my brain into where it was about this is because I think it's a, a very unique opportunity to help yourself have direct level conversations with consumer, whether you, whether you're working with a dietitian at retail or you're working with a dietitian as a small brand, it's a really unique opportunity to do some really creative messaging and talk from a different perspective rather than, you know, everybody's, you know, leaning into sustainability or regenerative or whatever, you know, and, and great. These are all great. I'm not taking anything away from that, but this is another Avenue that touches people at a different level. And I think it's really important that we talk about that a little bit. And I think it's really important that young brands recognize that this is a great bullet in the holster and you should think about it in the future. You should think about it as a part of your marketing plan. You should be thinking about how can we get benefit out of this? You know, what, what can we be saying differently than, than perhaps we're not thinking about? That's the perspective I think is so valuable. And so I think you've shared it beautifully. I want to ask, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. I want to ask you a question I, that something that you had written and I liked a lot. And I want to find out what it means to you. What does the phrase powerful health everywhere food is sold mean to you? So, so I think, so in my tagline, because I know you have a tagline that's something like, oh, if you read this far, thanks. Oh, the <laughs> bottom not, of my emails? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not putting anything in the bottom. So it, at the bottom of my MarketRD um, email signature is um, it's actually powering health everywhere food is sold. And so what what does that mean to me? Well, um, like I said before, there's dietitians across the food spectrum. There's dietitians that work for manufacturers. There's dietitians that work for retailers. There's, and, and the consumer is interested in health and wellness more so now than ever before. And they're thinking about it when they're so powering health everywhere food is sold. So, okay. Of course people think, okay, market RD Barb, you know, she's focused on supermarkets, but it's not even just in the supermarket, but if we're going to use that phrase and apply it to a supermarket powering health, it's my mission is to help elevate the health and wellness conversation anywhere food is sold. And that includes the supermarket that includes at the 
the point of R&D for them at the manufacturer. It includes in at a convenience store. I've always like been baffled, like, you know, we're seeing more evolution now. Um, when I go and visit Superior Fresh in Wisconsin, I love going to, um, you know, Quick Trip. Um, and they do a really amazing job with perishables. But, you know, 10 years ago, you didn't see anything perishable. Like you couldn't, you'd be hard pressed to find anything beyond an apple or a banana in a convenience store. And so when I say powering health everywhere food is sold, like I have reached out to the 7-Elevens and the Wawa's and the quick trips of the world, actually trying to get jobs working for them <laughs> to promote health and wellness because there there is a way to do that. And actually nowadays there are, there are dietitians that work at 7-Eleven. There are dietitians that work at Quick Trip. Um, I think Wawa probably has dietitians. Um, and a lot of retailers have convenience chains. But uh, you should be able to find a healthy choice no matter where you're buying food. In a retail space, like a supermarket or a convenience store, or if you're going to grab fast food or you're you're doing a road trip or you're on vacation, you should be able to go into any retail space and find a food that supports your health and wellness goals. And this really stood out to me. Um, I, you know, as a retail working for a retailer, I've been very fortunate. I've been invited on some amazing behind the scenes farm tours and trips. And a couple of those were international. So um, I remember going to, I actually consulted for a, a Danish cheese brand, Arla. Um, they're based in um, Aarhus, Denmark. And so I remember flying over to Copenhagen and I was got in very late and I went into the convenience store right across the street from where my hotel was. And I was shocked. There was like, all this beautiful like salads and produce and I don't even remember the chain it was but like I left that trip and I came home and I thought gosh like we need the convenience channel really needs to step up their game and it has in in the last 10 years there's definitely lots of healthier options for sure but to answer your original question what does that mean powering health everywhere food is sold I mean I I'm just focused on that mission. I think there should, every company should have a dietitian. We are the credentialed experts and not all dietitians are, are the same, right? So just finding any dietitian, it's like finding an influencer, right? Yeah. I mean, dietitians are credentialed influencers, but you want to have the, the right person that's working, working for you. So if you're, um, I mean, I think retail dietitians are great brand ambassadors and great influencers. So if you find an ex, somebody who's not working for a retailer anymore, and you want them to represent your brand, they understand like Correct. how it works at reach and can work for your brand and help, you know, <laughs> with those channels, understanding how things actually get from the distribution center to the shelf and how they're marketed and merchandised and all that kind of stuff. There's there's so much knowledge learned from working at a retailer that is valuable to a brand, which of course, that's how I ended up working for sure. brands. Well, speaking of which, let's talk about a brand. I want to get into one of them that, that is interesting to me. And, and 
you know, you've worked with avocados from Mexico. And I mean, look, that's a powerful, you know, that's a powerhouse brand. There's no two ways about it, both to the trade and consumers alike. Um, and if you take a look at their case study, their growth and stuff, I mean, it's an interesting case study, nonetheless. Can you just share with me just quickly kind of what that experience taught you from being a part of that? Uh, because that's, you know, it's not a retailer. It is a brand. It's, and it's really, it's really a company representing a whole bunch of brands. Right. They're representing all the Mexico's or all the avocados from Mexico. So if you wouldn't mind, just talk a little bit about what, what you learned from that. Yeah. So a couple of things. So um, most important thing I learned about working, working with avocados from Mexico is relationships, mm. how valuable relationships are. Maggie Beezard Hall, a lot of people in the produce industry know Maggie, um, love Maggie. Maggie's the reason that I got hired by avocados from Mexico. Maggie was working, had worked for Chilean avocados for many years. And when I was at Bash's, um, you know, we had a funny situation where Chilean avocados, you, you know, when you're a brand, you're doing promotions and a lot of times they're time sensitive and, um, Chilean avocados used to do this, uh, Super Bowl campaign, um, where they get tickets, you know, somebody would win tickets to go to the Super Bowl. And um, they would send the merchandising stuff to to Bashes to the distribution center. And my office just happened to be located in the distribution center, but right above the produce buying office, where the category managers and produce buyers were. Right. And so I could walk down into the the into the warehouse and you know, and so Maggie had, we just happened to be talking one day on the phone and she said, Hey, uh, you know, we're doing this Super Bowl campaign. Can you check and can you ask the category manager if he sent out the merchandising? And I said, well, what does it look like? And as I was like on the phone with her, I said, let me just run down into the, to the produce office and see if, if your stuff has been. And so I got down there and all the boxes for Chilean avocados were like still sitting there. And so you know, not thinking really too much about it. I just was like, well, Hey, I'll just, I'll move them over and get them on every truck today. (laughs) Well, you know, that's pretty helpful hands on, you know, feet on the floor, you know, to, to get it on the truck, like, you know, in, in, you know, a two minute conversation, I could go down and and get them, get all your merchandising that you've probably spent a hundred thousand dollars on to get to stores, right? So customers can actually participate in your sweepstakes. So year after year, Maggie would say, Hey, you know, like we're doing merchandising and check. And so we, we developed a relationship, right? right? And it was that relationship when Maggie got offered the opportunity to be the VP of uh, sales and, and merchant trade retail merchandising uh, for avocados from Mexico when they formed their association in 2013. Um, we just, I happened to send her an email because Bashers was reorganizing and she's like, wow, this is perfect timing. How'd you like to work for avocados from Mexico? And I was, I mean, I didn't even, the jingle wasn't even something people knew at that point. No. Um and I, avocados. Like I love avocados. I could, I could promote avocados. And so relation, that relationship was very valuable. And that's how I ended up working for avocados from Mexico. But to speak to the success of that brand and the produce industry, I mean, you and I know, I mean, I think you know this because you know, produce much better than I do. They, they have an enormous budget, probably the biggest marketing budget of any brand 
I've ever known. I mean, and I've, I've worked for retailers, right? So they have huge budgets. They're a commodity checkoff. So there's really no P&Ls. I mean, right. um, and uh, if you have an unlimited marketing budget, I mean, again, if you're a small brand and, and you had one one hundredth of what they spend or they have at your access, you could do a lot. But So they have a huge budget. And then all of a sudden, avocados were everywhere. You know, the the distribution avocados are coming across the border and they're they're going everywhere. Uh, it's and and it's a healthy food. Right. It's a fresh produce, uh, you know, option. It it's, doesn't really have a strong flavor either either way. It, right. it goes on almost everything. Avocado, to- you know, you can have it at breakfast. You could have it at lunch. You can have it. And then you have this huge budget and you can put a commercial during, you know, the largest TV viewing day. Of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not really magic. That that you're going to have an uh, increase in consumption by 300 percent in the the span of you know a decade. It's it's not really like that amazing. Um, I mean, I guess it is, <laughs> but oh, I mean, I mean, look, it's an impressive business model. There's no doubt. But to your point, I mean, it is a checkoff, and they do have a big budget, which makes it, do- it does make it go downstream. But you know. It, it, it's interesting, but it, what they've done, and I think it goes back to where I was just saying earlier about blueberry, what they've done is that they've increased consumption for all avocados, right? They've increased consumption in the in the eyes and the minds and the hearts of the American public that avocados are, you know, they are really at the forefront of consistently of something that people are buying all the time now. It's just, you know, it's yeah. just not for Cinco de Mayo. It's just not for Fourth of July. It's just, you know, it's a staple in a lot of homes today. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it is because um, it, it's, a hel- it's a healthy product. I think yeah. they have had perfect timing in terms of people being educated. You know, you think about it, the nineties the were riddled with low fat, everything, the snack wells, you know, mentality, like we want low fat, no fat. And then in the two thousands, the, the conversation about fat and the Mediterranean diet started to pick up and people started to learn a little bit more about good, you know, good fat. And right. I think it was in, um, I'm, I'm trying to think even when the Mediterranean, you know, the Mediterranean diet really was introduced in the United States in the late eighties, didn't really ca- catch much traction until, you know, the two thousands as the low fat generation. And, and, you know, I've been working in the avocado industry and USDA sort of manages all the marketing. Like they have to, they have to check mark everything. And it's, it's not necessarily dietitians that are working at AMS. So, so I'm writing copy and, and then it's being reviewed by AMS and they say yay or nay. And right. I remember for years, like we would use naturally good fat. You couldn't say that. You couldn't say healthy. You still can't say healthy fat. Uh, you can say good fat, but you can't say healthy fat, um, which, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But I remember when I was doing uh, a brochure about, actually, was it this? It was Avo Opportunities. <laughs> I love it. And uh, so my Avo, Avo Opportunities brochure had, um, and this was introduced, I think, in two thousand. 15 maybe. And I was trying to introduce the idea that it is the 
if you're looking at all your fat, it's not just limiting the fat, but if you are eating, say you're eating 50% of your diet from fat, if most of it is actually coming from healthy, good, good fat sources like plant sources and not processed, um, you know, anything like that, that is what the Mediterranean diet is. Mediterraneans, you know, they, they, have way more than 30% or more of their total calories come from fat. And they don't have the same level of heart disease or risk for heart disease, cancer, diabetes as, as Westerners. And and why is that? And if you look at the composition of their diet, it's they're consuming, well, they also consume seafood more, more so than, um, than other meats and things like that, protein sources, but, uh, you know, they eat nuts seeds, um, vegetable oils, olives, avocados, avocados are not really traditionally in in the Mediterranean diet, but they certainly do fit now. Um, but yeah, so the good fat, uh, so I think avocados from Mexico in terms of health and wellness and customer client consumer knowledge of nutrition and the evolution of the science of nutrition has evolved at the same time that avocados have gained in popularity. And, you know, avocados from Mexico is a brand, uh, you know, they, and they're a country of origin and we're all part of the Haas avocado board, which is the research arm of the industry. And so, Thankfully to the Haas Avocado Board, they invest a ton of money. Um, I'd say, you know, a good third of their budget, um, which is paid for by countries of origin, we all pay into supporting the Haas Avocado Board as the research end of the industry. And they do research, nutrition research on, you know, like making sure we have data that supports that eat more avocados, uh, right. have lower risk for heart disease. Or, or, or have lower risk for obesity and being overweight. Like, so they all work, we all work together. Um, but the Haas Avocado Board um, is, has been, you know, working on building the base of science that supports what I do, you know, for, for years, for years and years right. before it was even with avocados from Mexico. Yeah. I love it. Well, like, I love that you talked about, you know, good fat versus healthy fat that you can't say healthy. You'd say it's good, but you can't say it's healthy. It's, it's just, we've got to get a bigger, you know, it, it just goes to show the amount of disconnect that there is with our food and trying to make this country healthier by allowing them to better understand the food choices that are in front of them. And, you know, it, it just, it's just mind blowing to me that you can't use the word healthy. Good's okay. Healthy's not makes no sense because it's still positive. Right. It's not like it's a negative. It's still a positive. <laughs> yes. These these fine details of labeling and, and terminology is is very confusing. It's it's confusing for dietitians. But think about if you're a consumer, that's yeah. also very confusing. I think what's also really fascinating about the avocado story in general is that okay, you've seen consumption um, per capita consumption has gone from two like under two pounds per capita to close to nine pounds per capita. It, it's tripled a 300% increase in consumption in, right. you know, you could say it's two decades um, data from USDA starts at a, in about uh, 2007 avocados from Mexico was formed in 2013. 
So in, in the span of two decades. Now in two decades, consumption of fresh fruits and vegetables, nothing has Flatline. changed. Not really, nope. And so what can the produce industry learn from the avocado example? I mean, I think the challenge with with the entire produce industry, and you know, when we're in it, we're drinking the Kool-Aid, right? You you worked in produce for so many years, you know, we're like always trying to, you know, sell more, um, you know, increase increase volumes and sell more. The fact is, is like you could increase increase more, but you know, across the board, consumption is not really increasing. And is that, so I think the solution is, you know, we need marketing dollars. You know, if you had more marketing dollars for every fresh produce, but also I developed a curriculum um, on this topic as I was so fascinated and I was working for a nonprofit that then changed direction. So I have this curriculum sitting there that is, so I did a lit review. I mean, I spent a whole year really trying to understand how, how do you change consumption? And, it, and you've been doing a lot of this work in the last, with your podcast, interviewing people with the school meal programs, it starts with families and kids. So if you're not exposed to different fruits and vegetables and okay, you know, we have a food insecurity problem in this country. I mean, for sure, people don't have enough money to purchase food period, um, you know, no less healthy foods. I mean, and, and the same people that are concerned about budget, you know, they're working two, three jobs, like they're, you know, they don't have the time. So they're looking for convenience. So buying, you know, a bag of potatoes and then, you know, making it into mash, that's not necessarily what people are doing. But so what I, what I discovered in, in creating this curriculum is a lot of it is, taste preferences. Like if you Correct. are exposed to different fruits and vegetables as a kid, whether it's in the school meal program at school breakfast or school lunch, you're, and, and you've seen a tomato before, you're going to be more likely to have a tomato when you leave school or, you know, you right. had broccoli or carrots or um, collard greens or, or any of these things. But the bottom line is, is kids don't have exposure because families are not serving all these different things. I mean, when you and I were kids, it was like meat, vegetable, starch. And nowadays like that meal has, that meal doesn't necessarily exist um, because families are not sitting down together for family meals, but it's a, it's an exposure thing. So we need to have more fruits and vegetables, more variety. I mean, you'll never find an avocado in a school, school lunch program or school meal program there's a lot of politics reasons for that, but um, kids need to get exposed to fruits and vegetables. 100%. They, need, they need exposure. They need familiarity and then taste. Now I'm, I'm one of these kids that I had school lunch a, a couple of times. Like I wasn't a person who I don't, I don't even remember eating like when I was a kid. Like I remember eating cookies and milk for breakfast, <laughs> But it wasn't like I grew up in this like very healthy household. I mean, my mom was a single mom and I remember her leaving instructions like how to make the, you know, put the shake and bake in the oven and that kind yeah, of something. Same with my myself. House. But so we didn't eat like healthy 
foods necessarily. So how is it that here I am, you know, as an older person and I eat all these, like I love salads and stuff like that. Well, of course I work in work as a dietitian and I work in the industry. So I, I'm always wanting to try things, but, um, I think, you know, if I was not working as a dietitian, I wasn't working in this industry. I probably wouldn't have such a great, great diet because you don't take the time to think about it. I've had the mm-hmm. time to think about it because I'm trying to solve this problem <laughs> across the trajectory of my entire entire career. Yeah, and now, now working in produce and in retail and now working with Superior Fresh, you know, translating my knowledge of how to increase consumption. Well, they, they're aquaponics. So of course they do the leafy greens too, but how to get people to eat more seafood. Like what's... What's the missing link there? I mean, it, it's a lot of the same thing. You know, we were, I was just mentioning this to you earlier that uh, there was a report that came out on the school meal programs and what kids are eating in school. And on average, kids are eating 43 um, chicken drumsticks per year compared to three and a half fish sticks a year. So if you're exposed to a lot more poultry <laughs> versus right you're probably going to grow up to eat more poultry than you eat fish. Fish, Yeah, no, um, you're hundred percent right. And you know, it's, it's fascinating too, because I know people recognize 32 million kids eat school lunches in this country and 22 million of those kids are below the poverty level. So when you talk about school choices, you talk about opportunities to prioritize better food choices and to make a difference <clears throat> with our planet, with our you know global community, the future, we have to start with kids. We have to start with, reinvesting in children's nutrition at school, putting those educational platforms in front of them, because it is what is going to make, I believe, one of the most tangible differences to our overall economy, because your health is going to improve and we can make better choices younger. You know, uh, the the climate's going to improve because we are making, you know, plant-based, some of these other decisions are going to be made that are going to help us ultimately. And I think it's so important that we look at that. And, And you bring up another really good point. I want to lean into this a little bit about seafood, because I think it's something that you know, uh, it's got a stigma to it. Oh, it tastes like fish. Of course it tastes like fish. It's a fish, right? I mean, it's like, do you say that with McDonald's fries? Like, oh, tastes like McDonald's fries. Yeah, because they all taste like the same fry, right? The same fry 10 years ago is going to be 10 years from now. It's the same thing. But, you know, you and I were on an email trail together um, talking about seafood consumption and children's growth and development. You know, there's, there's a big study coming out, which I'm glad to see it's coming. FDA, National Academy of Sciences, NOAA, USDA, EPA are all trying to figure out why fish is important to our diets. So I want to talk about this a little bit because I think it's really important. First question to you on this is share why your thoughts, you know, why this is an important topic. And then I'm going to throw this one into you because I think they'll probably wind together. Why is fish, you know, so important to our diets today? Well, a biggie. I threw you a biggie. Okay. So the first, so to answer the first. Yeah. Why is fish an important topic? I mean, you know, why, why do we need to be working on helping kids? Yeah. So, so, and, and just talking about that train, that email conversation we were having, it was regarding the FDA reconsidering their advisory on um, limiting, you know, there's that, there's always been that since as far as I've been in my career that, uh, pregnant women should limit their consumption of seafood, uh, or like, I think it's like to less than, you know, three servings a week or two servings a week or something, which is preposterous. I mean, it's like, why is that 
that warning should not exist because the fish that have the the mercury and the the risks are the things that most people don't eat. You know, they're it's predator fish, tile fish, king mackerel, right. shark. Um, and okay, yeah, maybe the um, tuna. If you really overdid it, you you would. But, but if you look at places like Japan or places that eat a lot of seafood, infant mortality is, is they have much better infant um, health statistics than in the United States. And, and it's, it is attributable to the, the seafood diet that they eat. There's a lot of things in seafood that you cannot get in other foods predominantly. So in the fatty fish, good fatty fish. It's just, you know, just like avocados, good fat, the, uh, we say healthy fat. Can we just piss everybody off and no. call it healthy fat? No, you can't, you can't say that. Well, I'm calling the healthy fat. They can just, they can send me another <laughs> shitty letter. I don't care. I'll read it. I'll answer it back. <laughs> so, so avocados are predominantly monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats, right? Right. Seafood is mostly polyunsaturated fatty acids. These long chain fatty acids that the omega-3 fatty acids that are very, very liquid, you know, it's, this is biochemistry, but, um, you know, they're very liquid at room, at room temperature. And even at very cold temperatures, they're like, it still remains soluble. And mm -hmm. so it's no you know, coincidence that our brains are predominantly made up of these polyunsaturated fatty acids or brains. Um, and so that's why they're so important during fetal development, pregnancy, because if you're not getting enough of these building blocks to build a baby's brain, uh, you're not going to have the great, um, the greatest potential for cognitive learning and brain development, you know, right. as, as your child grows. So we want people, we want pregnant women, especially, but we want people to be eating more seafood to support, support their brain. And we also know that these long chain fatty acids, these omega threes also protect every single cell in your body. So they're anti, they help with anti-inflammatory, um, you know, depending on how you're consuming, you're either pro-inflammatory or you're anti-inflammatory. And unfortunately, most people are eating lots of processed foods and they're not eating enough of these omega-3, these anti-inflammatory fats. And so they're producing, you know, more cholesterol and their body produces more, um, Chem, you know, uh, I don't want to say chemicals, but um, like prostaglandins and things that make your right. uh, blood, blood more sticky and sticks to your arteries. And that affects your health. That's what increases your risk for heart disease or heart attacks and high blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. So um, individuals, human beings uh, in, in the United States do not consume enough seafood. They don't eat enough. 90% of Americans don't consume adequate amounts of omega-3 fatty acids. And one of the, the interesting sort of governmental, you know, glitches here, aside from even saying healthy fats, is that there is no dietary reference goal. So there's no there's no daily value, or um, we used to call them the, the RDAs, the recommended daily allowance. There's no standard intake goal established for the omega-3 fats, the most important ones, the EPA and the DHA, those are the omega-3 fats. There's also alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, 
which is from plant sources, there is an RDA established for that. But we can get that if you're eating nuts and seeds and vegetable oils, you're you're getting your ALA. But if you're not eating seafood, you're not able, you're not getting that, those long chain fatty acids that are so important for your health. So these these anti-inflammatory fats, these really, really good fats. I mean, I'd venture to say they're better than avocado fat. Um, people just are not getting enough omega-3s. And so some people say, okay, well, I'll just take a supplement. Well, there's not really standardization in the supplement industry. I mean, for anybody that's worked in retail or in industry, I mean, dietary supplements are regulated differently than, than drugs, pharmaceutical. And so there is like the grading is there's just a huge spectrum of what you're getting. Like the wild, wild west too. You don't, I mean, there's not a lot of testing. You can, you know, but, but even when you go and buy omega-3s, okay. So you walk into say Costco and you're like, Oh, there's like a whole wall of omega-3 supplements. And you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to buy the cheapest one. Well, no, you have to look over and look at the label and you actually have to see that EPA and the DHA levels. Now, if you're eating fatty fish, salmon or tuna or halibut or even shellfish, you're going to get omega-3 fatty acids. Like you can't avoid them. But if you're getting a supplement, you may not be getting the maximal dosage. So what do people, how much do people need to be consuming? Of course, working for Superior Fresh, like I, this is why I've stalked them for years trying to work for them and now finally do work with them because they're fish. They feed them the optimal diet of what they want to eat. And so it's no coincidence that these salmon actually have optimal levels of omega-3s. And when you compare, you know, our team at Superior Fresh, um, you know, go and pick um, other salmon off the shelf at other at, at retailers and then send it to a lab and compare it against theirs. Our, our salmon, the superior fresh salmon, always has more omega-3s and to the tune of two times as much omega-3s as other right. salmon. So it's, it is really a, a superior nutritious uh, fish um, and something that uh, everybody needs to eat more of. And so how much omega-3s does everybody need to eat? Um, we're looking at uh, 250 to 500 milligrams per day of EPA and DHA. And so I always like to, to multiply that times seven <laughs> just to make it easy for like per week, what are you sure. looking for? So 500 times seven is 3,500 milligrams of omega-3s, EPA plus yeah. DHA. In one filet of fish, there's usually around two grams of, of, of uh, omega-3s. So that means you have to have more than two servings per week to optimize the amount of omega-3s. So if you're right. not eating two servings of fish per week of the fatty fish, because <laughs> a lot of people eat like shrimp and sure, sure, uh, sure. lappy and catfish, or, you know, in the Midwest, the fish fries are, you know, the walleyes and the, you know, these are fish that are not. Don't knock the Friday fish fries. An old fashioned <laughs> I, and a Friday f- fish fry. Do your fish fry, way. but just do an omega-3 um, rich fish. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. 
Hello, this is Jesse from Superior Fresh. Check us out at www.superiorfresh.com to learn more about how we raise our Atlantic salmon without the use of hormones, antibiotics, or pesticides. Our Heart Check certified salmon boasts two times the omega-3s of other salmon and are fed an organic and non-GMO diet. Our fish thrive in water naturally filtered by our USDA certified organic greens, which allows us to recycle 99.9% of our water. This is salmon as it should be. Order Superior Fresh Salmon direct to your home by shopping with us online. And listeners of this episode can use the discount code TLC15 to receive 15% off your order. We make it easy to get the best salmon in your homes and on your plates. We've got you covered. Superior salmon equals superior taste. Shop now and use code TLC15 for 15% off through the end of the month. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, let's throw the retail dietitians into this fish equation, right? Because I think it's a classic example of everything we talked about in the beginning of the broadcast. We've got to make fish. And I think it's a really important topic, right? I think it's, I think it's important that we look at seafood in our diets and a part of it, getting into schools, getting kids off the fish sticks, onto a filet, et cetera. So with your dietitian hat on, you know, how important is it to make fish easy for consumers? And I think about, you know, a access for one, right? not breaded and frozen. Um, preparing fish is scary. People freak out. I think it's like, ah, it's fish. It's going to kill me if I, you know, people just, they just don't have the confidence in it, which is no different than cooking a piece of fish and is a piece of chicken, right? It's just learn how to do it. And then how to consume it. Cause again, they go back to everybody's got, you know, I shouldn't say everybody, that's a broad statement, but people have this like, ah, oh, but it tastes like fish, right? It's like, that's not necessarily true. It can taste like lemon. It can taste like soy sauce. It can taste like ginger. It can taste like whatever you decide to make it, you know, to help it to cook with, right? There doesn't take a lot. So help me a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, just from your perspective about, you know, why we need to make it, I think, easy on consumers in, in some ways. Yeah. I mean, gosh, we're in such an interesting time with um, food prices kind of going up and and people, oh. you know, with less, you know, disposable income to spend. Um, but, you know, if you have a budget for food, uh, you know, I, you're trying to fill bellies, but you're also trying to optimize nutrition. And so if you are preparing meals from scratch at home, you actually are going to be able to prepare healthier foods. Like it's the prepared items you're paying for the packaging and the, the marketing of the packaging and all that. And the processing that, that adds to the, the cost of, of food. So, like you said, preparing fish. Um, I mean, we are, we're working with salmon. Uh, you know, there's a million and one ways to prepare salmon. Uh, I think the easiest, um, like the gateway fish <laughs> per se I love um, is, is making it into things that, um, you know, are, are sort of you're used to seeing. I think a burger, like a a salmon burger yeah. is really a great way. And, um, you know, I get tired of just cooking the plain old filet. Of course, that is the easiest way to cook it. I mean, I think cooking fish is easier than poultry. I'm always, I always cook chicken or turtle. Okay. It's turkey, you know, it's yeah. like not too frequently, but you know, poultry, I'm always like, I'll take it off the grill and I'll be like, cut into it. And, Oh, it, it's got some pink juices and, you know, my dietitian friends will say, well, use your 
meat thermometer. <laughs> okay. I always thought like throw it into the microwave for a minute just to make sure that it's, there's, there's nothing, you know, salmon, no salmonella in there. Right. Fish. I mean, turn on the oven, 400 degrees, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Like, I mean, it's, it's almost foolproof. Um, but I think like I was saying, the gateway fish is like making it into forms that you're, you eat and like, it's easier to swap out a burger with another burger. So instead right. of having your beef burger or your, even your veggie burger, you're, you're actually going to be doing yourself a much better favor. Okay. Stop. You don't even have to swap to the, to the plant burger, swap to the fish burger. So right. a salmon burger is so easy. I mean, it's, it's almost like cooking for dummies. Like you buy, buy the filet, whether it's like the frozen filet or the, you know, at the seafood counter, a lot of times there's specials at the seafood counter. You buy, you know, you buy what's on sale or you buy it frozen. You usually get a value there. You defrost it. You don't even have to defrost. That's the other beauty of, of frozen fish, frozen salmon is you actually don't have to defrost it. You can take it right out of the freezer and put it in the oven, 400 degrees, 15 to 20 minutes, and it'll be perfectly cooked. Um, of course, people that eat a lot of salmon, I I was at a restaurant recently at a, a dinner with a bunch of industry people and somebody ordered their salmon medium. <laughs> it was like, this is this is this is a, a skilled salmon eater ordering salmon yeah. medium uh versus you know i just want salmon to come cook like it it doesn't have to be medium or well it just cook it um but making it into a burger is an easy thing and you can flavor it any way you want like my easiest foolproof salmon burger is taking any three herbs so it could be onions basil cilantro usually those are grow in my garden all year round here in Phoenix. Um, or in my fridge, I always have onions in there. So chop up an on chop up some onions. There's usually uh, cilantro or I have pesto and throw it into a blender, any three, any three herbs and um, pulse it in a food processor, form it into patties. I usually pan fry them. I don't generally use the grill. Like I know a lot of people in, in Arizona use grills all, all along. I just use my cast iron skillet. I think that's also a nutritionist thing because of the extra iron in the, in the iron pan, okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, cook it in a little bit of olive oil. I throw right. a little bit of butter just at the end to give it this really nice, beautiful, creamy, buttery taste. And then serve it on a hamburger bun with whatever you like to put on a, a hamburger. I mean, I, I like to put a little bit of mayonnaise on there. I mean, what could be better? Um, if you have like finicky kids, make them into little mini sliders. I mean, who yeah. doesn't love those Hawaiian little Hawaiian buns? <laughs> you put anything on that, I'm going to eat it. So yeah. make little, um, you know, your little salmon sliders. Um have you ever tried um, salmon meatballs? <laughs> yeah. No. Look, well, and you know, you 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 know, you bring up such a valid point, which is what I was leading into with the question: is that it's 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 hard because we don't want to make it easy. We don't want to invest the time and energy. And I think that it is such an important food 
to start talking about more into our diets. You know, fruit and vegetables, yes, all day. I mean, I can rattle that off and stick back my hand. But there's other things that are out there important. I'm not taking away from meat and chicken and pork. And, and so, you know, again, no hate. There's no hate mail coming from these guys. I haven't said anything yet. But I think it's important that we recognize that fish is there. It's an opportunity. It's a really important one. You've illustrated very well about how important eating fish is nutritionally to ourselves. So all these things really do matter. And I think it's just great that we've had time to chat about a little bit of detail to get people kind of thinking like, okay, you know what, fish, I shouldn't be afraid of fish in 2023. As I think about doing resolutions, I think about what I want to do differently in my life. Fish, like commit fish once a week, I'll go try it. How hard, you know, I'll read a little bit, right? You're willing to try a barbecue sauce. You're willing to go try a different vegetable. Don't be afraid of fish. Right. Get past get the fact. That, yeah. Do we I talk about, get this? We were talking about this earlier and I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure that we got this in there. The average American consumes 56 pounds of beef per year. Uh, 113 pounds of poultry per year. 50 pounds of pork per year. What do you think the seafood is? 14 pounds. 19 pounds. Good guess. So, I mean, yeah, if you were going to make one dietary behavior change, okay, nothing against fruits and vegetables because everybody needs fruits and vegetables. This this isn't about that. But people are crazed about protein. Trade for, by golly, people trade up your protein choice. Don't plant-based is all over the place. Okay. Like I, I get wanting to be sustainable, but seafood is sustainable and it's the most uber nutritious protein on the planet. Like salmon, especially because it's this fatty fish that's loaded with omega-3 fats. So if you're going to make one change in your diet, okay. If you're not eating seafood, just try and add it into the mix. But if you already like salmon, like try different recipes. I, I'm constantly, I mean, I'm obsessed with, I love cooking. Um, probably cause I don't have to cook every night like most moms do, <laughs> but, um, but so I like, we'll see a recipe. I'm like, okay, I got to try that. And it's like fun for me. Like if I see a recipe and I want to try it, I save it and then I cook it. And now we have all these wonderful tools out there. We have, um, air fryers and, um, Instapots and, um, right, you know, different, different, different solutions, grills. I mean, everybody's got. I mean, I think everybody has access to a, a grill, right? I mean, you could go grill at an, a park, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, fire, <laughs> like we, we got it. Yeah. Um, but making seafood, making salmon or another fatty fish, part of your regular routine and exposing your kids to fish is so important for their future. Of course, we don't want to traumatize the kids here. No, um, no, no. But I mean, there are ways if you get your kids involved in making the burgers, the salmon burgers, or you get them involved in preparing um, the product. I mean, there's just a million and one ways to prepare foods that taste good. I mean, and if you say, oh, I don't like to taste of it, I'm like, well, you haven't cooked it right because you could make it like, I mean, I have my favorites of how I like to cook um how I like to cook salmon. And and it's a variety of different ways. It's not just one way. I mean, if I just cooked it with a little bit of 
butter and lemon and salt. Yeah, that that's delicious. But I'll tell you, my favorite is like sriracha and honey. That is like the bomb. <laughs> so, right. Um, but again, it's simple, simple things that just people can add. And I think again, back to what we originally said, it's just it's something that I think we need to be looking at harder. We need to to um, keep these conversations on the forefront about how we're going to um, change the American diet. And the fish is a great way of doing it. And your, your, your comparison numbers, you know, again, to your point about trading up, just try it, just, just give it a shot. You're not going to go wrong. You know, look, tell your kids, they're not eating Nemo. So don't go, go traumatize. Like you said, don't try, not eating SpongeBob. Let's be cool. Right. But get them to try stuff and work with the flavors to your point, work with the flavors that your family likes. Right. And see what you can't do because it does make a, a tremendous difference. As we wrap up hanging out today a little bit, I got to ask you because we are talking about 2023, right? And we're you know kind of setting people up to think farther ahead. What's your inspirational message you want to get out to the world for 2023? What Barb got in your backpack going to drop on? What bits of wisdom are you going to drop on everybody they need to think about for 2023? You know, besides call you and help you, you know, keep dragging the message, watch my, you know, check out conversations, all that good crap. I mean, those are easy. That's low hanging fruit. Yeah, I think um, instead of uh, the, well, okay, well, my, I would tell everybody to look for dietitians where you might not expect to find them. Look at your supermarket. If you have not uh, researched, it's likely there's a dietitian right in your neighborhood, Um that works for your local supermarket. Uh, and when you're thinking about nutrition information or the source of nutrition information, like getting it from credentialed health experts. I mean, I was just looking at um, a big delivery platform and one of their big things for promoting health was like looking at celebrity, like shopping carts or shopping lists or something like that. And I thought, gosh, like, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, I, you know, I think it's more important to get information from a credentialed expert on what to be eating than who, like, who cares what some famous person is eating? I mean, well, that, right. That, that has, that walks in with the visa card. They never make a payment to, right. Cause somebody does it for them. I mean, yeah, I get that. It's exciting and wonderful, but your point's valid. It's like, go to those dietitians and let them help you. Let the stores help you. Let, you know, I agree. So, so that that's part of it. But then also when it actually comes to the food, um, you know, I think eating more fish, uh, of course, eating more fruits and vegetables is always something I'll, I'll, I don't think in my lifetime I'll ever stop eating that drum because people just do not, it's the same thing. They're like, Oh, it's the recommendation is too much. It's five cups of fruits and vegetables per day is the, the recommendation. And if people ate five, they used to just be five a day. Now we put the cups. That's, that's the government right. really easy. If you're having a salad, it usually eating a cup of leafy greens. I mean, I don't think I eat less than three cups in, in one sitting of, of leafy greens. It's easy. And if you're cooking, fruits and vegetables, it's, it's easy to get those other, 
you know, just thinking about having more fruits and vegetables in your everyday meals. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like always thinking, how do I add something, a banana, blueberries, berries, um, avocado toast at lunch. Oh, I'm going to add lettuce and tomatoes, or I'm going to have a salad at dinner. I'm always going to have some one or two vegetables, whether I have a salad or I have two different vegetables. I, I mean, like people ask me about Thanksgiving, like, what are you serving at Thanksgiving? And I'm like, what am I not serving? Like, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, cranberries, like there's five vegetables right there um, that are, are on my holiday, you know, table. Right. But um, and then when it comes to eating more seafood, I mean, that's also a very easy thing to do if you're just thinking about when you plan meals. OK, you, every Friday, you're always going to have a fish fish meal. But then maybe like at least one other day. I mean, I always, I'm, I'm an anomaly because I eat a lot of, I eat fish probably most of the time versus other, other proteins, but thinking like, okay, in addition to Friday, what's your one other day that you're always going to do your, your fish, your fish meal. And it's, it's not difficult if you plan, plan in advance. Um, and we've got to change that trajectory of, of protein consumption. I mean, you see the beef, the pork, and um, poultry are very high. And then you, seafood consumption is very low. Like we want to change the consumption. We want people to eat more seafood and eat less of these other protein sources. And when it comes to sustainability, I mean... I just think we we get lost in the conversation of farmed versus wild. It's it's not even like don't even go there. It's not about farmed or wild. It's just eat any any fish. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, that's great. That's a great inspirational message for people, right? Get involved, know your food, know your dietitian, get involved with those choices, make, you know, think things through. That's what we need to be doing. I mean, it's how we're going to change the narrative on food. It's pretty simple. Right. You know, it's pretty simple. Food's medicine and we need to treat it as such. We eat too much of, you know, one thing it could cause one problem. You eat, you know, not enough of another. It could cause another problem. Right. And I think it's really important that, you know, again, like we talked about starting with the kids, getting them, you know, change that trajectory changes so much on our planet. It's so much for our country. It's unbelievable. This has been fun. This has been a great chat. I've enjoyed this. I mean, you've got such a great perspective on what you've done and you come from such a unique, um, as we talked about earlier, we talked about, you know, your path. It's been so unique. So I think it's been great for you to come in here and just kind of share with everybody some thoughts and just plant. You know, I think if anything, there's a lot of seeds you planted for people to be thinking about. And I think that's really special. I think that's really important. You know, you, you, you talk about, you know, five a day and it's like, you know, you can keep harping on people and then they stop listening. Right. And it's about planting seeds of new thoughts and, and, and understanding, like you shared about eating fish, why it needs to change a little bit. Not, it's not a big lift. It's just consider that change. Consider how to put that into your family's you know, plant uh, because you are buying proteins in some way or another, right? So why not figure it out? And to your point, recipes are out there. Make it easy. Try it. Doesn't all taste like fish, kids. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> if it And if it does, that's got a problem with it, right? You should think about that a little bit. If you're eating fishy fish, it's like, eh, I don't know, right? It's like, it's like getting sushi at the convenience store. You don't necessarily want to do that. Anyways, this has been a great time. I've enjoyed it. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Todd. I mean, you're you are changing the conversation one Todd versation at a time. I mean, we're trying. 
like I, I watch um, your posts on LinkedIn every, well, every day, but you know, every week and you've just had a whole spectrum of different people. I mean, you've had a lot of dietitians, um, school, school meal program, um, lots of people that are really working very hard at changing the food system and changing the conversation. And so, yeah, I mean, both, you know, I look at what you're doing after working in the produce industry and having really a very full career. And now you're, you're doing something fun and you're making a difference and gosh, I mean, that's, that's why we're in this, this food business, right? We want people to catch the passion that we have for it and be able to be healthy. It's, you know, it's, it is possible. And it I is. Your conversations are, are all the ways it is possible. Thank you. That's very sweet of you to say that. I'll take that as a lovely Christmas gift. That's, I appreciate you doing that and, and saying that because you're right. You know, it's about inspiring people. It's about inspiring the ideas, the people behind those ideas, the brands that are out there. But, you know, we need these conversations to forefront. There's a lot of people doing some really cool stuff. And if people don't know they exist, they can't, you know, they can't vote with their dollars. They can't figure out what's going to make a difference in this planet. You know, uh, just saying you want to change, just saying that we have a climate issue doesn't solve the climate issue. Right. It's like being in California saying we have a water issue that doesn't solve the water problem. Right. All these things need to be talked about. We need to find solutions. So I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot to me. It really does. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Everybody, thanks for watching. Ho, ho, ho. Like I said in the beginning, I hope your holidays are going fabulous. We're happy to get gifts here. Don't we're, we're not opposed to that. You can send us Christmas gifts. We love them. No, I'm teasing. Thank you very much for listening. Once again, don't forget to check us out on social media, TLC underscore conversations. We're there. Why? Because Santa Claus is on social media. If Santa Claus is on social media, good enough for me. So check us out. We appreciate you. Thanks for being here. And uh, remember what I always tell you, go inspire somebody just like Barb did today with us. Go inspire, make changes, right? The source of inspiration can come from anybody. Just a hello is a source of inspiration. So use your power in a positive way to inspire people. Thanks for being here. We'll see you all soon, everybody. Take care.